I'm reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And this is the word of God. Well, we begin a new series this morning called Homemade. And this series is about parenting. And so if you're here this morning, and uh, this is the service where we have the most singles. Uh, this is uh, just, just kind of pre-planning for you, all right? This is where you, you take some lessons, or perhaps you go home and you thank your mom and dad for putting up with so much, whatever the case may be. Uh, but we will find it uh, instructive for all of us. In, uh, in, in life, uh, I feel like uh, parenting is very much uh, preparing and ascending out. That we uh, prepare our kids for certain things and then we send them out. I don't know if you remember your, your child's first day if they go to public school to, uh, to kindergarten. And so you, uh, on those days, I think moms struggle with those more than dads typically. But uh, you take your kid and you send him or her out and, and you can't be there. You're sending your kid where you can't go. Uh, then if you parented for longer, maybe it's uh, their first ball practice and you turn them loose to a coach to do what he does or what she does. Or perhaps uh, if you parented long enough, it is that fateful trip to college. All right, you, you take your son, you take your daughter to college. Wendy and I have done that. And you leave them. You just uh, roll away. And it's like all of a sudden uh, they couldn't live without you and now... They are, and they have to, and you don't know what time they come in at night. You don't know what time uh, they get up in the morning. You hope they go to class. You, you are trusting a whole lot of things. Parenting is not preparing your kids to live with you forever, is it? It's preparing your kids to enter the world. Whatever that may be for them. That's what parenting is, is preparing your kids. As a matter of fact, uh, James and Jenny are leading a study right now called Ready to Launch. And so it's preparing to launch your kids into life. Well, if somebody could identify with this, it would be Moses. Moses, where we find him in Deuteronomy 6, is given the second of three speeches. He is 120 years old. He has spent the last 40 years of his life with uh, the children of Israel in the wilderness. He uh, was there when they had no water and they whined and complained and said, I wish we were back in Egypt. You brought us out here to die. It was Moses who cried out to the Lord and the Lord who provided water. He was there when they complained of having no food. And it was Moses who cried out to the Lord. And God caused the quail to fly in. And in the morning when dew came up, it was just like what I consider to be California dreaming style honey croissants. Called manna, all right? And so they just came, uh, this sweet, flaky manna. Maybe Mr. Bob's Donuts. I don't know. But something is lying on the ground. They eat it and they are satisfied. 
It was Moses who spent all of this time with them. He saw some in their rebellion get swallowed up by the ground as they rebelled against God. Moses saw it all. And having seen all of that, he himself blew it. And when he did, God said, you can't cross over. And now Moses stands on the east side of the Jordan and he's looking over and he knows he cannot cross the Jordan with them. He's preparing them to go where he cannot go and he gives them this speech. And in this speech, the purpose of it is to prepare them. What is the thrust of his speech? It is to love God. If you look at it simply, Moses says to them, I want you to love God. Of all the things that you could get across to your children, I would say to you this morning, the number one need your children have is to love God. They need to see you love God and they need to learn how to love God themselves. So this morning... From this speech, we're going to learn uh, what loving, genuinely loving God looks like. First of all, genuine love of God loves God as the one and only God. Not a God among many, but the God among no other gods. Hear, O Israel, is how he begins, the Lord our God The Lord is one. Some translations render this, the Lord is our God. He is the one God. This word here is the first word in the sentence in Hebrew too. And the word is Shema in Hebrew. The reason I share that with you is that to this day, twice a day, all good Israelites cite and recite this 12-word Hebrew phrase. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It is known as the Shema. They say it twice a day. Now, why do they say it? So, in the Old Testament, you've got the expanded law. That's Leviticus. You've got the Ten Commandments. They summarize all of Leviticus. And you've got the Shema, which summarizes the Ten Commandments. It's how it works. This is the one-liner for all of the Old Testament law. Uh, You say, surely not. How could that be? Jesus said, when asked, what is the greatest law? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus himself corroborated this. You take all of Leviticus, you narrow it uh, to, to the medium, you get the Ten Commandments. You narrow it to one line and you get Deuteronomy 6 Four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Genuine love for God loves God as the one and only God. But this is what you have to get. To hear in Scripture is equivalent to obey. James would corroborate this in his letter when he says, Do not be hearers of the word only and not doers. To hear the word is to obey. And when Moses says hear, implied in that command is to obey. What does he want them to get? 
There is no other God. Why? Because in Canaan, they worship all kinds of gods. All kinds of gods. They're into animism and spiritism. And there are multiple gods. There are gods of fertility. There are gods of agriculture. There are multiple gods. As a matter of fact, there's an account later in the Old Testament where they offered their very children to the god Molech. They sacrificed their own children to them, to him. And so, so Moses knows this and he says to love God is to love him as the one and only God. Well, you see, they have a recent rich history. Forty years before this speech, Moses, the speech maker, was Moses, the songwriter. And he wrote a song. Now, why would Moses write a song? Moses wrote a song because God did something big. You see, when God picked Moses and he went to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, there were the plagues and the back and forth. And finally, they're coming out of Egypt. And they could have just gone up the King's Highway or up the Via Maris, the way of the sea, and been right in Canaan. But God had them go down into the Sinai Peninsula. And when he did led them that way, they had to cross the Red Sea. And they get to the Red Sea, and the people complained. Does this sound like parenting at all? They get to the Red Sea, and the people complained. And God said to Moses, take that staff in your hand. And he does. And when he extends it to the water, the waters part. Well, no sooner do they get into the Red Sea than they hear the hooves of the horses and the rumbling of the wheels of the chariots, and they are in deep trouble because Pharaoh's heart is hardened again by God, and he is coming after them. And God is ready to show his glory. He has told Moses that, but the people are in fear. But God leads them across on dry land. And when they get on the other side of the sea, they look back and the very waters that parted and made a virtual aquarium for them became the waters that God just caused to roll over uh, Pharaoh and his chariots. And so Moses writes a song. Listen to his song. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Imagine a million plus people singing this. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Wow, you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. And here's the phrase. Who is like you, O Lord? 
Who is like you among the gods? There is no other God. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Genuine love for God loves God as the one and only God. There is no other God. Now, so let me, let me address this for a moment. Let's get intensely practical. So I've just spent 10 days or so in Africa. And here's something that I can't shake and I don't want to, right? There are some things uh, when you go on a mission trip, you gladly shake. And then there are other things you just want to kind of uh, sit and, 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 and dwell in you. One of the things I've rediscovered in Africa is that their lack of resources causes them to rely on God. Their lack of resources. When you live on a dollar to two dollars a day, their lack of resources causes them. They have no choice but to rely on God. And so they can end up with numerous God stories, right? And it reminded me as I was there of my own childhood, my parents early, early on were quite poor. We grew up in Tennessee. They were quite poor. And my dad tells two stories about my own childhood that have honestly resonated with me. And God has used them like a reservoir of deep faith at times. One, he said, I was quite young crawler, just a crawler. And he said, I become ill. I had a high fever. And dad said, we had no money at all. Dad worked very hard, but times were hard. And he said, I left the living room where you were lying on the sofa, almost lifeless. And I walked back around the house to this shed behind the house. And he said, I got down on my knees and I said, God, I have a boy who's sick. And I do not have the money to take him to the doctor. I need you to heal him. And dad said, I came back in. And within minutes, you were off the sofa, fever broken. You were good. He said, I left, went back to the shed, got down in the same spot on my knees and said, thank you, God. Well, that story just kind of sticks in me, right? There are days when I need to draw on that. That's like the song of Moses. What was dad saying? There, there's no God like our God. Dad said on another occasion, we were out of milk. Young children needed milk. Milk didn't cost a lot in those days. I'm an old man. Milk didn't cost a lot in those days. Dad said, I went out to the shed, same place, got down on my knees and said, God, You know, I work hard. My kids need milk. I need your help. Dad said, I came out of the shed, looked, and there on the fence was a dollar bill bent on that barbed wire fence and just waving in the wind. Took that dollar bill, jumped in my truck, ran down the road, bought the milk we needed. So, so listen, I speak to very affluent people right now. Very affluent people. You may say, well, Jerry, you don't know my finances. Uh, 
You're very affluent if you live in America. All right, very affluent people. I speak to college students. You're among 5% of the people your age in the world who get a college education. 5%. 5. Do you know what our danger is? We have so much. We don't need God. Isn't it? Isn't it the risk of our bank accounts and nothing wrong with him? And praise God for his blessing on you. But isn't it that, isn't that the risk? We can solve all our problems on our own. Who is a God like our God? Secondly, genuine love loves God with all of yourself. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. All right, so my phone got updated. This is hilarious. I am so not good with these things. So not good. The staff, they're all young. They take care of me, right? But my phone got updated. I get home from Africa, and all of a sudden, all these emojis are flying up down the bottom. Like I'm typing in words, and pictures come up. I know this probably started like three years ago, but it's just happening with me. And so pictures come up. So Wendy texted me last night and I text her back and like almost everything I said was in emojis. It was hilarious. She texted me back and she was like, whoa, you're good at this. <laughs> no, it's just flashing up on my screen. All right. So when we hear, uh, when we hear some words right here, uh, love the Lord with all your heart, right? I think little heart emojis and, you know, uh, a face blowing a little heart out and all these emojis and it's about to be Valentine's and, you know, all these kids are going to send hearts to everybody, right? So let me clarify something in the old Testament, the word heart, uh, really refers to the mind. So the first thing on the list is to love the Lord with all your mind. Why does it say that? Do you know you can't love anybody until you know them first? Did you know that? Did you realize that until you know somebody first, you can't love them? Now, you might love them in a general sense, right? As you love all of humanity. But there are people in this room, hopefully you love more than others. Right? They're they're in your family or your life group or whatever. And hopefully you love those people more than you love other people in the room. That's just natural. Why is that? Because you know them. You will never love God until you get to know him. You will never love him until you get to know him. And and so, so, so you have to know him with all your heart. That's your mind. With all your soul. That's the invisible part. So that's the, the will, the emotions. That, that's the seed of the emotions, the invisible part with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your might. That's your body. What does this look like? If you love God like this, you will believe what he says. That's mind. You'll love what he says. That's soul. And you'll do what he says. That's body. Did you get that? If you love God like this, you'll believe what he says. You'll love what he says. And you'll do what he says. You'll believe it, love it, and do it. And if you don't believe it, you won't love it. And if you won't love it, you won't do it. And so if you sit here this morning and you say, uh, Jerry, I, I don't have this kind of love like you're talking about. Then your number one thing to walk out of here with before you can pass. And that's, we're getting to this, pass this on to your kids. You've got to love God. 
And to love him is not some Valentine's Day romantic thing uh, that's found in a box of chocolates. It isn't. It, It is a believing, a loving, and a doing. That involves the mind, that involves the depths of who you are, and that involves your body in carrying out his commands. Now let me say this to you. In Deuteronomy 6 through 11, in these chapters, the word love and the word fear are used back and forth. So what does this look like? You cannot love God without fearing him or fear God without loving him. The two go together. All right, so I must admit to you, I don't fully understand how this works. Right now, I'm reading through uh, the Bible chronologically. I've got a black pen just to make notes of things that jump out at me. But then I've got a red pen, and everywhere I see the fear of God, I'm underlining in red. So this time next year, don't be surprised if you see a sermon series on the fear of God. Because I will have read through the entire Bible, uh, Lord willing, and I will have uh, begun, I've already begun to make notes on, oh, this is the result of the fear of God. This is the fear of God in action. There's something about the fear of the Lord. So what does this look like? All right, so I'm going to pick on my son who's sitting right here for just a moment. Uh, so, so Trent is sitting right here. And so a few weeks ago, I sent Trent a text. And the text said, I need to talk to you. You remember this, Trent? Yeah, his eyes went, yes. All right, so I sent him a text, and I said, I need to talk to you. I'm sitting in my office, and immediately the phone rings. I'm like, hey, Trent, what are you doing? And he said, I'm in the bathroom. I'm like, son, why are you calling me from the bathroom? Dad, you text, you need to talk to me. What's wrong? I said, son, nothing's wrong. Is something wrong? He was like, no, but that makes me so nervous when you do that. You just text like that. And I get so nervous, I can't stand it. Right, Trent? Yeah. He's like, it does. Why is that? Well, he's 14. I'm 48. I'm his dad. I'm to be in charge in his life. And he ought to fear me to a degree. Amen? All right. That's the relationship we have. Not be afraid of me, but fear me. So what I'm learning that this looks like is respect. Okay, so I want you to hear me on something. Do you know when this starts? When they're about this big. Listen, if you're waiting until they become teenagers to instill this in, you are way late. Way late. There is this fear. All right. This is how we are to fear God. All right, let me say something else to you. If your kids do not learn to fear you, and love you simultaneously they will not learn to fear God and love him you're shortcutting them and that and if they can talk to you any old way and treat you any old way and act toward you in any old way guess what they'll do that to God and this respect they ought to have for a high and holy God they will not possess Where do we see this played out? Oh, you go back to Genesis 22. There's a man by the name of Abraham. And in his old age, God gave him a boy. His boy's name was Isaac. So Isaac is born to Abraham. And when Isaac is born to Abraham and Sarah, Abraham is thrilled. And he was the apple of Abraham's eye. And one day, God, in one night, God said to Abraham, "Uh, that's your boy. And I want you to go offer him. 
The next morning, Scripture says, without hesitation, uh, Abraham gets up. And what does he do? He gets his son. He gets wood. He gets things to build a fire. He gets some servants. And they head toward the mountain. It's a three-day journey. It's unimaginable to me what went through Abraham's mind on that three-day journey. The back and forth, the interplay. As he looked down at that boy that he loved. And God said, offer him. They get to the foot of the mountain, and what happens at the foot of the mountain is unreal. Abraham turns to his servants, and he says to them, stay here. And then this is what he says. The boy and I will return. Okay, let me pause and just give you a caveat. If faith does not inform your parenting, you say, what do you mean? Having parented a daughter who is now 22 and parenting a son, there are times when I cannot see what I want to see, but by faith, I believe it. And there are times when I'm on my knees and I'm begging God and I'm praying. Or I might find myself in the office and all of a sudden one of them comes to my mind and I drop everything I'm doing and I begin to pray immediately. I don't know why. I don't need to know why. All I need to know is in that moment there is a God who is in my office and he's at West McDowell Middle School and he was at North Greenville and he was down at CVCC and he's wherever my kids are and he's where I am and when I can't get to them, he He can. And when I can't do what I need to do, he can. And I can pray and I can talk to him. And the God who is not bound by time nor distance is very much available to me in that moment of duress and prayer when I don't know where my kids are or what's going on. But there's a God who does. Amen. And if that does not infect your parenting, if that does not affect your parenting, you will fall short in seeing God's glory revealed through your kids. Your kids will get to places you cannot go and go into situations you cannot face. Thirteen times Wendy and I have stood on this side of the curtain when they rolled Trent back into surgery. We have not once been in the operating room with him. And for thirteen times we have sat in that waiting room, sometimes up to five hours, gripping one another's hands, praying to a God who's over all the surgeons that our son will come out of surgery alive. You will pray when you cannot go. So they go up on the mountain. Isaac is getting confused. He looks at his daddy and he asks him a question. Dad, we, we've got wood. We've got the stuff to build a fire. But there's no sacrifice. Abraham looks at his only son by Sarah and says, the Lord will provide. Wow. And he takes that boy and binds him and lays him on the altar and he pulls back and an angel grabs his 
arm. And this is what the angel said. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear that you what? What class? Fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And there was a ram caught in the thicket, and he sacrificed him. C.S. Lewis said, in mere Christianity, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. He's come to kill our sinful nature. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit. All of your desires, your wants, your wishes, your dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me and I will make of you a new self in my image. Give me yourself and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. Genuine love loves God. God with all of you. And then finally, genuine love teaches others to love God. You shall teach them diligently to your children, Moses says, to these people gathered around him. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. All right, this word diligently is important. It means to pierce through sharpness and precision. Last time I checked, Every time I've gotten pierced, I wasn't smiling. All right? Needles come my way, I don't go, yippee. Right? Every time you go on a mission trip, you got to go get shot up. You just don't do it. Right? And I, in my case, pray I don't pass out. That's just a general thing for me. But, but that's what the teaching looks like. Now, the word has some deeper meaning, and I want to share it with you. The image is that of an engraver with a chisel in hand who with great care etches a text into the face of a solid slab of granite. That's hard. Granite is hard. The sheer labor of such a task is daunting, but once it's done, it's there to stay. So do you know what parenting is? According to teach them diligently, it's your kids come to you like a solid slab of granite. And all God's people say, amen. Some of them are strong-willed. Like granite is what they are. So they come like a solid slab of granite. You get a hammer. You get a chisel. And you begin to chisel. You begin to etch into the granite. The granite. God's word. You etch God's word. So let me say something about that for a moment. Number one, it doesn't happen in a day. You will never raise your kids in a day. And number two, can I say this so that some of you can breathe a sigh of relief? Unless you do something illegal, you won't ruin them in a day either. All right, so I get the, 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 the various phone calls from parents who are so diligent. They're like, oh, my gosh, I just totally blew it today. And I just, I'm like, well, it's just a day. It's just one day. You get 365 times 18 plus 4. And then if they move back in, I mean, you, you know, it just, who knows? It's just a lot. You get a lot, all right? You get a lot of days. To pick up the hammer, pick up the chisel, and etch. And do you know what? On many of those days, they will not like you. They will not like it. They will not like your nose. 
They will not like your yeses. So please hear me. Your kids have a whole lot of friends, but they have one set of parents. It isn't your job to be your kid's friend. Not at all. So, ah, when they get older, friendship will come. But not when they're young. Right? I mean, do you have other friends who are five? That's weird. You know, look at your wife say, honey, go grab some coffee. Who are you taking with you? Well, little Tommy. That's strange. And so it is with parenting. No, they're not your friend. You're their daddy. You're their mama. You call the shots. You say this is how it is. And that's how it is. Period. Right? Not comma, but period. That's how it is. That's your place. Pick up the hammer and pick up the chisel. But listen, please hear me. That's not all a parenting is. It's just talk about it when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up in your house. What does that mean? It means all the time. But this word talk, you know what talk means? It just means talk. All right. So if you only carry the hammer and the chisel, you will embitter your children. All right. Depending on your kid's personality, they give you a lot to work with, don't they? (laughs) Right? Just a lot of material. <laughs> that just depends on their personality. You know, some kids are just, Wah! and so, so they just give you a lot to work with and you just can't work with it all. If you did, you just chisel all day. That's all you do. And your kids will be like, oh, right. So there must be pauses and breaks where uh, on the way to school or on the way home or around the dinner table, you apply what you've chiseled to you talk about it. Deuteronomy 6, 8, 9, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We see three levels here. I'll cover them quickly. You must personally love God. Eyes, hands. You must, as a family, love God. Doorpost. You must then influence your community to love God. So when we were in Africa... A guy by the name of Babakar, I wish you could meet him. Babakar works with children. He's unbelievable. So we did, he did a kids club on uh, Tuesday night with the village that we served in, Gatir. 350 children showed up. It's 95 degrees. They're outside. The sun is beating down. Babakar has them in a circle and they're spellbound. And they listen to him as he tells the stories and as he plays the games. And it's wonderful. And with the the money we raised to go, we helped purchase these little simple sugar wafers. So once all of that is done, as they sit in a circle, we go and just hand the wafers out to them. All the volunteers did. um, and, And we hand out the wafers to them. And they're, thank you, thank you, thank you. So different than America. Their public school teachers are right there. They get out of school at six. So their public school teachers are right there. And so we do that. And then once we finish that, you brought those bracelets, right? Those glow in the dark. Now, don't forget, these are villages with no electricity. The sun is setting. It is getting dark. And here we go. Handing out little glow bracelets. Oh, if you could have seen the kids' eyes. And then all of a sudden, there's a circle of light. Just little glow bracelets on all their arms. And they're, they're smiling. 
Babakar said, it's time to be done. They get up, they leave to go home, to walk home. That's Gatir. That's where the pastor is, the church is. That's where God has been at work. The next day we go, we go to Geet. Geet is a village that does not have a church, that does not have the gospel. Again, Babakar, again, 300 plus children. They all show up. They get in a circle. He just holds them, uh, apparently spellbound. I mean, just, just amazing with them. He finishes. We hand out the wafers. No one says thank you. It's interesting. I'm observing this. I'm thinking not one, not one kid thanked me. Not one. That's fascinating. Bracelets, same deal. Babakar goes to dismiss them. And when he does, just like the day before, there's a leftover box. I'm in the center with Babakar of this 300 and some kids. There's a leftover box with some wafers in it. And those kids realize it. And they stampede us. And so much so that I had to get out so as not to get injured. And they, like animals, scrap for these little wafer cookies. Pastor Cherna, who's generally mild, stepped into the middle of all of that. I'm stepping over kids to get out. I know there's nothing I can do to help this situation. Start swatting, not hitting anyone, but just swatting into the air and saying something to get the kids to get away. And I look over at Esther, his wife, and she drops her head and she's just shaking her head. I said to our team later, is it possible? That the influence of the gospel in village number one has not only been personal, not only is it Cherdna's family, but the gospel has infected the village to where that even in the schools and even around the kids, they're different. Whereas this village has never heard the gospel. They don't have a preacher. That's why we were there. There's a new man coming up as their pastor. We were there just to do a medical clinic that day. Do a kids club to kind of begin to pave the road into Geet. So that the gospel can flourish there. And then I thought this. Is it possible that as we as Grace Community Church are salt and light. That it could affect our entire county. Do you believe that? I do. I do. I really do. I believe that. That schools can change. I, I believe that commerce can change. I believe that God can bless. As we fear and obey him. Him. 